Welcome, Ellie. Um, most people will be familiar with you as Ellie Griffiths, author of the Dr. Ruth Galloway and Edgar Stevens and Max Mephisto series, but that's actually not where it all started. Can you tell us about your first novels and what inspired you to become an author? Oh, well, yes, um, you've hinted at it, but of course, Ellie Griffiths isn't my real name. My real name is Domenica de Rosa, or if I was to give it the full Italian flourish, it would be Domenica de Rosa. So uh, it sounds made up, doesn't it? And it sounds yeah. completely like a pseudonym. Um, but it's my real name. My dad was Italian and I was born on Sunday. Domenica means Sunday. And yeah, so as Domenica de Rosa, I did publish four books which were kind of um, romances, really, or history, sort of history, romance, family stories, all based in Italy. Um, and yes, I always wanted to write. Um, Probably from when I was a child, I used to write, I used to make little books and write in them. And when I was at school, I used to write episodes of Starsky and Hutch that, <laughs> that people read around in class. Yeah, I do remember because I always used to kill one of them. I'd either kill, well, what can you do? I'd either kill Starsky or I'd kill Hutch. And I remember people used to cry um, when they read them. And I quite liked that feeling, you know, that I could maybe manipulate them into, into crying. Or maybe it's, it's just that the, the order in which you put words can make people laugh or cry. So always wanted to be a writer. Um, read English at university, then I went to work um, for a publishing company. I went to work for HarperCollins and wrote my first book uh, when I was on maternity leave, expecting my twins who are now 20. So I guess that was 20 years ago. And of course, that was as Domenica de Rosa. And so where did the, how did you settle on the name for Ellie Griffiths then? Well, what it was was I'd written four, as I said, written four books and then I wrote The Crossing Places. Um, and my agent, I... Initially, I didn't really think that that was very different from the other books. It had a lot of similar things, you know. had a strong female main character. It had a sense of place and historical themes. But my agent said to me, oh, she said, oh, oh, this is crime. You need a crime name. So I picked Ellie Griffiths because it was my grandmother's name, and she was Ellen Griffiths. Oh, right. And uh, so I thought that, you know, she... I didn't know her very well. She died when I was quite young. But she was a very intelligent, literate woman who had to leave school at 13 and go into service. So I thought she would quite like to have a book named after her. So uh, why it became Ellie, I really don't know. But recently asked my editor, oh, you know, how come Ellen became Ellie? And she said, oh, she said, it just looked a bit tidier. Oh, okay. So that's how so I got to be Ellie <laughs> Well, there's, there's currently 10 titles published in the Dr. Ruth Galloway series. And as a reader, I have to say, it feels like Ruth's a character that kind of launches herself off the page at you and you become immediately absorbed in her world. Um, but when you started to write Ruth, did you have a real idea of who she was or did she kind of reveal herself as you went along? Well, it's a really good question. Um, do you know what? Ruth did suddenly appear to me, and I hate saying this because I teach creative writing and I would never let my students get away with that sort of thing. But uh, Andy and my husband and I were walking across Titchwell Marsh in North Norfolk, right. and Andy's an archaeologist, and he made this comment about marshland being sacred in prehistoric times because they thought of it as a bridge to the afterlife, neither land nor sea, neither life nor death. Uh -huh. And that's why you get these bodies buried there, so-called bog bodies, is to mark that boundary. And so immediately I had the idea for a book, it's never really happened to me before, and I did sort of see Ruth walking towards me out of the mist, if you like, and I did feel like I knew everything about her. She was a forensic archaeologist and she was going to live on this deserted marshland and she was going to be called in by the police uh, when they found bones buried there. So in a way she did just appear, but of course in other ways she was constructed by me, and I think I did... 
have a conscious feeling of wanting to make her real, sort of like a real woman in that she she's very confident in her job, but she's not very confident otherwise. She's not very glamorous. She's overweight. So those sort of things I hoped would make her somebody people would, would relate to, really. Because there was a bit of a trend at the time. I don't think so much now that... Where, where sort of crime heroines were sort of super women who'd run 50 miles for breakfast and, you know, cook a gourmet meal and all yeah. looked gorgeous. So I, she was a bit... I did sort of want to make her the antithesis of that in a way. There is a lovely realism about her that you sort of you relate oh, to. I hope I so. Yeah. I do. Yeah, hope I, so. I very much feel that. Um, the books, as you've just touched upon, really, the books featuring Ruth involve forensic archaeology and also police work. How do you go about researching the information you need for your plots? Well, my husband's an archaeologist. In fact, he wasn't when I met him. He, he worked in the city, but he changed careers um, about 10 years ago now. No, a bit more than that, about 15 years ago now, um, and became an archaeologist. So he's very helpful, you know, with the archaeology. Uh, but he's not a forensic archaeologist, but he introduced me to a woman called Lucy Sibbon, who's quite a well-known forensic archaeologist who works in Brighton. So she's been a huge help. So I do sort of run things past her. Um, and just sort of find out about what her day-to-day life is and the sort of things that she's consulted on. And she genuinely is consulted by the police when they find buried bodies. That is a genuine thing. So um, so the archaeology side, I feel like... Quite often I ask Lucy or Andy something and they say, oh, well, that's quite unlikely, and I only hear that as, oh, that could happen. Um, but with the police as well, I, I um, have a friend who's a retired policeman, so I asked him quite a lot. And I now know a couple of observing um police people, though actually one has just retired, Graham Bartlett, who's the chief superintendent in Brighton. And there's two women writers, actually, Elizabeth Haynes and Lisa Cutts, and Lisa's still a, a serving police officer. So there are a few people that I know, again, but so you do want to try and get it right. But in some ways, I was talking to uh, Paul Finch, I don't know if you know Paul Finch, he's a writer, but he was... Uh, I have, yeah, I've read one of his books. Yeah, yeah. really good. <laughs> yeah. Heck, he writes about Heck, the detective... Heck, Mark Heckenberg, anyhow. Um, he was a policeman for many, many years. And he said, well, to be honest, he said, it's different in every force. You know, you try and get it right, but actually it's different in every force. So now if anyone asks me, well, why do they do that? Like, I would say that's the way it is in Norfolk. Uh, so that's my good. answer. <laughs> but they do try and get it right. Now, halfway through writing the Ruth Galloway series, you then introduce us to a new mystery series, which is, features Detective Inspector Edgar Stevens and the um, travelling showman and magician Max Mephisto. Was it an easy transition to come out of Ruth's world in Norfolk and venture into another world in Brighton? Well, actually, it was... I wouldn't say it was easy, but it was a lot of fun, and I think it did me quite a lot of good, because I, as you say, sort of about sort of five or six books into the Ruth series, and this series had been bubbling along in the back of my head because my granddad was in Variety. He was a um, comedian. So I wanted to write about that world, sort of 50s, the last days of sort of musical and variety. So it had been in my head to write for a long time. So when I started it, it was very different. Obviously, these these are two male protagonists. There's Edgar Stevens, who's a policeman, Max Mephisto. I love your description of him as a travelling showman. That's what he is. He's a magician. Um, so And it was set in the 50s and written in the past tense. So all very different. But funny enough, as soon as I finished a Stevens and Mephisto book, I'm very, very keen to get back to writing about Ruth and the same the other way around. So actually, I do wonder whether it, it, it's because of that that I don't feel jaded, you know, after 10 books. And in, in both series, I have to say, you evoke a real sense of place and it feels like you have a connection with the areas. Was there a reason you chose Norfolk and Brighton as the places to set the scenes? Well, yes, um, I live in Brighton um, and I've, I've lived there for, for a long time, since I was five. I went away to university and then came back sort of thing. 
Um, so Brighton and Brighton is such a wonderful place because it's beautiful and historical. There's also a dark underside. Obviously, you see that in books like Graham Greene's Brighton Rock and kind of Hangover Square and all that sort of stuff. You know, there, there's um, there, there is there is that underside to Brighton. Norfolk really was because partly because Ruth is an archaeologist and it's probably the part of the country that has has got richest for archaeology. Apparently, there is. It's an amazing sum. It's like over 2,000 artifacts found every week in Norfolk. Really? And my husband had dug there at a dig in Haysborough where they found the oldest human footprint outside Africa. So it's really, really old. There's loads of archaeology there. But also it was because my aunt Marge uh, lived in Norfolk and uh, very sort of happy family memories of holidaying there and going on her boat. And so I think Norfolk was already quite dear to me. And Marge was also very good and she's been, she's still alive and she's great. She's been a great help on all the Plots, so you know, and, and telling me lots of Norfolk folklore and things like that. So it's probably because of Auntie Marge and because of the archaeology. Oh, fantastic! And um, both because of actually part of partly because of the setting, but um, both of your series I feel would lend themselves really well to TV adaptations. And I just wondered if this was something you'd consider if the chance arose. Well, yes. I mean, and I've just signed uh, with a TV company who want to d- develop. Um, the series but but and that, that is very exciting but it's the third time I've done it so it'll be the it's the third different tv company who's tried to make something of it so um yes I I would love to see Ruth on television I think they, they I could be a bit biased here no I'm, I'm with you I do think they would be good on television but obviously it is quite difficult people have found sort of difficulties um I think also although of course I would be delighted to see them on television not least because it would mean that I could sell more books but um Part of me would sort of worry about it. And I think one always worries, like, if it's a series that you like and you like the main character, you do slightly worry about how they appear on television. And in a way, the pictures are always going to be better in our heads, aren't mm. they? But um, Would you want to have an input, do you think, in the whole process? Would you, if the, I'm assuming if it was allowed. Yes, I think I would. It's very funny because I was just looking at the contract that I've just... I haven't signed yet, I'm just about to sign it. And it says something like the, the, the producer's promised to have meaningful discussions with the author and I thought I wonder what they would entail a meaningful discussions but um I think in a way you either need to have lots of impact input and be maybe co-writer or co-producer or something or have none and I remember hearing Ian Rankin talk and he said oh he hasn't even watched the Rebus on television because he doesn't want to end up writing for that actor and I can see that side too. You know, maybe maybe the, the best thing to do is say it's a different medium. Mm. You know, brings it to know. a different audience. I it is, so. yeah. So I don't know how I'll be when it comes to the crunch. <laughs> Looking at, at your output of work as well, it sort of feels like there may be a situation where you're writing two books at once, or if they slightly overlap. Do you ever have to be in both worlds at once to meet deadlines? Or I've, sort of... I've never actually written two at the same time, but it is very much I finish one, I have to start yeah. another. What I have done is I've done sort of the edits on one book whilst writing the other one. I can seem to be able to do that. But the thing I don't think I would be able to do is to be in those two worlds at once and to sort of be mm. creating them at the same time. I think that would be difficult, but you never see never I might have to do it one day. But at the moment, it is very much I finished um, the, the last Ruth book and then finished the next mm. Stevens and Mephisto. And actually, I've got a, a standalone coming next. It's called The Stranger Diaries. And so I had to fit that in as well. Um, it, it is. It sounds like a really exciting new project. And I just wondered if could you tell us a little bit about that as oh, well? Of course, yeah. I'd be delighted to. As I say, it's a standalone. Um, it's if you like, it's a it's a modern crime novel, but it's 
got sort of gothic tinge to it. It's set in Sussex, uh, and it's partly based in an old um, old manor house that's now become a school, which is very much based on West Dean College, which is where I teach, um, which has a very interesting history. And there's a, a woman teaching there um, called Claire, and her a colleague is murdered. And um, the school is famous for also once up having been the home of a famous Victorian ghost story writer who wrote a story called The Stranger. And that runs through the book. You get bits of this ghost story going through the book. And Claire, meanwhile, is writing in her diary about what's happened. And then it becomes clear that someone else is also writing in her diary and that that someone is the murderer. So it's, as I say, it's, um, it's got a multiple narration. It's influenced by people like Wilkie Collins, whom I love. Um, but it hopefully has a little bit of that, that gothic-y feel to it. Sort of, sort of going on from the back of that, really. Um, other than your own books, of course, is there a book that you'd wish you'd written? Oh, gosh. Um, it's a really good question. As I say, I love Wilkie Collins, and I suppose I wish I'd written The Woman in White. I think it's such a wonderful book. Um, really good adaptation on TV, I thought, recently. Um, and Ben Hardy, who's in it, is the son of one of my best friends. So I thought he was ever so good. Um, but, yes, yeah, so sort of, because it, it's such a wonderful use of those uh, different narrators and the way the story unfolds quite slowly and they're, they're as if they're sort of giving evidence. And, and I thought that was quite clever the way they did that in the TV series. So, yes, The Woman in White, or most recently, maybe The Secret History. Love that book. Fun. Donna um, now, your books have also been produced into audio format um, and just wondered if you had any input into that process on narrators or anything like that. Yes, I do get to uh, choose. Well, I'm given a choice of, of different voices um, to, to be the narrator. And I take that really seriously, actually, because I love... I love spoken books. I love listening to books. And uh, I know how important that is. And I, I suppose it's because when I was young, my mum always used to read to me and I read to my kids for a long, long time. So I love that. I love the idea that someone's reading to me. So I think that's really important to have the, the right voice. And it's been very interesting. Um, the same woman has narrated most of the Ruth books, but she went off to have a baby. And now there's another woman who's also really good. But they're, they're quite different. So it's quite interesting listening to them. And it also the uh, Stevenson of having a male uh, voice because it, obviously secretly inside you imagine it's your voice so when you hear a man reading it that that's great actually because it makes it feel very different which is quite nice and it's it's sort of i don't know does it add another dimension to you to hear the books read uh, definitely aloud and... does definitely it can seem quite uh, it can almost be i don't know how to describe it, it can almost be quite embarrassing hearing somebody reading because you think Oh, did I write that? It feels very exposing, I suppose. Okay. Um, my mom, um, you know, was partially sighted and often used to listen to them and other books, you know, on audio. And I'd go in there and there'd be this voice saying, and Ruth walked across the marshes. And I'd think, oh, my goodness, I wrote that. But actually, it, again, it's I suppose it will be like, maybe like when it's, it's on, if it's ever on television, you suddenly think you see it in a different way. So, but I just think these, these narrators are just amazing, really. It's such a skill. I, you know, have very occasionally recorded things and I just find it, you know, it's so difficult. Would, would you ever, so would you consider narrating your own book if you were approached or is that a project? Part of me would love to, but I just think it's a real skill that, that I don't have. I mean, I'm, I, I'll probably, I'm, you know, here at Book of Said Library, I'll probably read the, the first, you know, few pages of, of The Dark Angel and, and I'll enjoy that, but that would be it, you know. Yeah. Imagine reading the whole book. I, I just think it's so amazing. Remember, my kids were young, and they listened to the whole of the, all the Harry Potters read by Stephen Fry. And, and, you know, the way that he read all those 
book so brilliantly, all those different voices and accents. So clever. No, I haven't got that skill. <laughs> Um, just just a, a, a last question, really, and going back into your writing, and, and particularly as I imagine you've got to be quite disciplined when you write. Um, and I just wondered if you had a particular um, way in which you wrote. So, did you, have you got a structure to your day, and, and do you write in a particular place so that you're sort of going out to work almost every yes, day? Yes, very. That's very opposite because I've just in the last six months got a writing shed now, which I've always <laughs> wanted. I used to write in the house, in in the in the sort of study, but the room that the kids use for homework and things but now I've got a little shed in the garden and as you say it is quite different like going out of your back door just across the garden you know but it does feel like going to work and my cat always comes with me and it's quite sweet because if I'm not ready by sort of upper state he's there by the door as if to say come on let's get going let's get working um and that's again when I'm at home I do try and write every day and I started about half past eight which my kids are now at university but that was sort of the time when you know eight o'clock when, when they left the house so I, I try and start then and I'll work through to lunchtime um I try and write every day at least a thousand words a day that's my rule because 90,000 word book will be done in 90 days 90 good grief you know, that's, a, that's the that's idea a schedule it's a schedule it doesn't work like that obviously because you sometimes mm. write a thousand words and then delete them all the next day but I think if you try if you work at trying to build up a manuscript a thousand words a day it does work and it's not too much it does, it's not too many a thousand is not too many so um, that's my well, that's my that's the theory of that it that would put me to shame I think if I, <laughs> if I attempted well, that my kids but. as I say they're at university and they're doing essays and things now and they're, and they're saying oh I've got to write 3,000 words and I'm saying easy three days <laughs> Well, Ellie, thank you ever so much for talking to us. Um, I hope this inspires members that may not have uh, had a look at your books before to borrow and listen to them because they are absolutely fabulous. I'm a big fan and have been from the beginning. Um, but thank you for and Thank you to very us much anyway. and uh, good luck with your wonderful audio library venture. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>